Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Is uh, the Wheel of Time new episodes every Friday on Amazon Prime Video? So is it possible to take a show seriously when the baddies are called Trollocs? James Dempsey <laughs> joins us once again. Uh, is this is this Games of Throny or Lords of Ringsy? Um, it's somewhere in between, I would say, right? Mm. And it kind of, and it sort of is a bit of an in-between time as well, right? Because we know Amazon has invested like something like a billion dollars into developing The Lord of the Rings as oh. a fantasy TV series that's expected to be arriving around this time next year. So this, to me, feels like a bit of a stopgap. But I also kind of have to admit... It, it sort of anecdotally, I would say it is the first time that I've noticed a huge, huge push by Amazon in terms of advertising. Like I think, you know, they had a big like I think it was blue carpet, you know, ceremony in London for the debut of this. And it seems like they're, they are really trying to, you know, amp it up and gain some viewers, viewers ah. for it. So it's. Yeah, and and it allegedly it cost something like $10 million an episode as well. So it, they haven't sure changed it. Now, I will say. I knew nothing about The Wheel of Time. I, did, I have to admit, I had never even heard of the series of books, The Wheel of Time yeah. by Robert Jordan, if I get his name right. Uh, and I think there are 14 of them. They started in the 80s and ended posthumously in maybe about 2007, I think was when the last one was published, which I think was a prequel. And uh, it is all set in this, you know, uh, Games of Thrones, Game of Thronesy, but really Lord of the Ringsy world. Uh, and it involves a sort of a matriarchal magical group of women uh, and this the one power right that's magic and it is wielded by the women any men who previously wielded it are unable to do so and go insane due to the weight of the power and okay. uh, the person we heard there was Rosamund Pike who plays Moraine um, who is one of these powerful witch type persons who arrives in this village and is searching for the dragon, capital T, capital D, who is a reincarnated spirit uh, who must battle against the Dark One, capital D, capital O, who has returned and who throughout history are constantly fighting each other because the wheel of time turns and they always are doing it over and over and over again, right? So she needs to find the new the one, whatever it was called, the yeah. dragon, sorry, yeah. uh, the drag one. And in that process, she drags four people in because there are four young people in this village and she knows it's one of them. So she brings them all along while she's determining who it is, right? And... Where are they going? They're going to the White Tower, which is where most of the uh, the the women are seated. The a- I can't remember what they're called. They're like Ace Sinai or something like that. There's okay. a lot of nomenclature that I haven't quite gotten to grips with yet. Yes, because I've only seen three episodes and I haven't haven't read the books before. Now I will say, um, despite it coming with big big fanfare and costing ten million dollars per episode. I thought it looked like the most cheap, expensive thing <laughs> I have ever seen. <laughs> oh, like gosh. there were times where you know the Trollocs themselves um, were grace were graciously shot at night. I mean, they do all their attacking at night time, which definitely covers some of the gaps. But in terms of their style, I did I thought they kind of looked a bit silly, really. And even the magic itself, which is a lot of sort of 
wispy white lines floating around and strange, very bright lighting uh, all looked kind of uh, cheap to me, right? But mm. I also and what's the deal with the Trollocs? Are they working for the Dark One or are working, they just on their own? Thing? They're working for the Dark One and are sort of guided by uh, a, you know, a mouthless writer who definitely has some name that I can't remember. And and, and to the Wheel of fan, wheel of Time, sorry, fans out there, of which there are many and many, uh Bear in mind, I'm a layman, right? So I'm going in blind to this. And I understand you have a great love for this material. I don't know if this is doing it justice for you or not, right? I can can only speak for myself as a a first-time viewer. For me, uh, the biggest problem was a lot of it seemed referential to things, other things that I had seen before. Now, that, the, Even the, your description there, it's, you know, Chief Lord of the Rings there. There really. is, there's a scene in either maybe the second episode where they go running and they get on this barge, which basically is taken from the first uh, Lord of the Rings movie, right? Now, it ends in a different way, definitely. And certainly, I you know, I would say that the, this world here is much less black and white than, than the Tolkien universe, right? Mm-hmm. Which makes it a bit more interesting. But I also want to give it some time to grow, right? Because I actually think if you went back and watched the first season of Game of Thrones again, it would look probably a bit cheap compared to the final seasons. And, you know, people were still finding their footing in terms of characterization and performance. Yeah. But what worked so well in Game of Thrones, why it was so good kind of from the beginning, was the writing was always very good. The dialogue was fantastically meaty and funny. And uh, the dialogue here is not right. Uh, there are there, it needs a lot more kind of uh, like. So we got these four young characters, all of whom could be the one, right? The you know the the mythical journey quest person, yeah. the dragon to be reborn or reincarnated, and uh, the four of them, each of them is sort of in the TV show not especially well defined right so you have Rand who's sort of the goody two shoes nice guy you have Egwene who is the young woman who um, you know has been taken into this matriarchal society and given a a plot which is of great significance and that means she and, and has as they have unrequited love between the well it's actually very much requited but problematic love between uh, the Rand and her then you have Matt who's sort of the like cheeky one uh, who has been recast for season two which is already in production now oh dear. which is not a great start for that character and then you have uh, a, a the last one uh, who is a blacksmith uh, who was given a very bad motivation uh, Perrin is his name he's given terrible motivation in the first series which uh, first episode which I sure surely must be a spoiler for the book so I won't go on and say what it is but all in all it just felt like none of those four really established who they were or even really their major differences from each other mm. and that was the problem it all seemed like a little derivative now it wasn't boring but it wasn't brilliant and for $10 million an episode I would have hoped it was a bit better than that. Yeah. Did you find yourself kind of drifting off a bit there after you've seen, given that you've watched three series of this? Or uh, three episodes uh, rather. Or three episodes. Yeah. Uh, and, and an increasing sense of I've seen this before. Well, it definitely ends on a bit of a... a, a right. It, it, it opens with this big bombastic opening scene where a man is running around and there's a lot of screaming. The third episode ends with a callback to that in some regard, Right. And obviously this is supposed to be this big kind of hook as in, Mm. oh, what is this? Who is he? But I was reading that in this series of 14 novels, there's something like 2,700 named characters, right? So there is just a lot of nuance in this, right? The books, I think, are like, you know, doorstopper, 700, 800, a thousand page long fantasy epics. 
And it's very, very hard to condense all of that down to, you know, 10 or 8 one-hour episodes. Yeah where they're supposed to cover the lifespan of one book, right? Which is what I think that, that they're trying to do. Like, certainly this first series, I think, is supposed to cover all of the first book, which is 750 pages. It's also a new fantasy world with new, like, social structures and uh, hierarchies and, like, enemies and, uh, you know, factions. And trying to introduce all of these is just, a, is like, a, it's an awful lot going on. And yeah. sort of the point where, and this is using the book's parlance, the tinkers turned up who were all voiced by Irish actors and are sort of (laughs) nomadic gypsies (laughs) with hearts of gold. I I was sort of like, okay, I'm not really sure where this is going, right? Now, I I will watch. It's a big fantasy epic. Uh, You know, I I like that kind of thing. I will give it its due, but (laughs) certainly for me, it didn't get off to the most promising start. Yeah, it sounds like it's something that, that perhaps it needs a lot of explanation that, 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 that you know, that is, might be very exposition heavy, given that it's describing an entire world. True, very but, much so. Uh, yeah, and uh, but at the same time, then they're trying to get in like fight scenes as well. Right. And my understanding is uh, all of the characters have been aged up to have a bit of bonking going on as well. Right. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so they're trying, I guess they're trying to have it all right. Yeah. And in doing so. For me, it was just messy, right? But I understand that, like, this is this, you know, for, for the millions of fans out there of, of that this series has, like, to, you know, if they had gotten rid of a character or or completely shelved someone, it probably would have been considered total heresy. So you're damned if you do and you're damned yeah, if you don't. Yeah, no, absolutely. But given it was maybe slightly less well-known, they might have been True. able to take that risk, you'd have thought. So that the Irish, is that Michael McEl- McElhatton and Maria Doyle Kennedy at yes, all? Yes, and Daryl McCormick yeah. of, of Fair City. But, uh, and the guy who's been replaced, so his name was Barney or is Barney Harris and he's being replaced by Donald Donald Finn uh, who is an Irish actor who's taking over okay alright so good for him good for him Michael <laughs> Malhat and Maria Doyle Kennedy are in everything anyway <laughs> uh, right we'll move on to our second show of the day it is Cowboy Bebop all episodes of season one now streaming on Netflix here's a clip can I help you yeah you can kindly it's nothing personal, but your mark's coming with me. Look, I don't know what you're trying to pull, but I was here first. He's mine. The boyfriend? I don't give a about him. I'm after her. What? One, if you don't get that gun off of me, I'm going to make you eat it. And two, why the hell would anyone care about her? There's no bounty on her. Oh, I care about her because Ellis Montgomery does. So pack up your bags, princess, because daddy wants you home. No. Wait. No, 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 no. She's Katarina Montgomery? She's Katarina Montgomery. Please. Oh, me. I can't go back there. <laughs> I know, but a whole lot of money says otherwise. You don't know him. You don't know what he's like. Everyone knows your dad. Rich, powerful, total Get over it and move. Walk away. Now. I don't know if you've noticed, boy toy, but I'm the one. Hey! There you go. Uh, your statutory bit of kung fu towards the end of that scene. Uh, right, so yeah, I suppose better start explaining the kind of history Origin. of this. Mm. Yes. So Cowboy Bebop is a 1998 anime series and for many kind of I guess western viewers of anime it's 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 sort of the one you cut your teeth on because there's only 26 episodes of it and they're about 25 minutes each whereas some animes are you know there's like a, you know there could be like 300 episodes mm. right so it's this short contained story that a lot of people uh, I guess it, it, it's a huge cult if that's such a that's not an oxymoron right it's a huge cult Japanese anime show mm. it's a neo futurist western <laughs> uh, kung fu 
crime drama. (laughs) And it is it's set in, I think, the year 2071 at a time where uh, the population of the Earth has expanded beyond all. uh, Well, beyond this planet and the moon and onto all of the other planets of the of the solar system. And they've been all terraformed. And we follow Spike Spiegel, who is played by John Cho, who is a cowboy and a cowboy in the show universe is basically a bounty hunter. And he is on the ship, the Bebop, which is uh, captained by Jet Black, who's a grizzled former cop who lost an arm and is now also a uh, bounty hunter. And then sort of ably uh, um, served by a like a is she a friend or is she an enemy uh, person who we heard there also in the clip Jill or no uh, what's her name something Valentine Faye Valentine mm. who also has a checkered past and checkered pasts are uh, nobody in this show <laughs> hasn't had a lot of trauma on their mm. route to the screen now I've only ever seen one episode of the anime right because it has it is now available actually if, you know and if, if you want you can watch both the anime and the live action they're both on Netflix but that is only recently there is a streaming service that caters in this part of the world uniquely to that kind of market as in anime it's called Crunchyroll and I, I downloaded it for like a week long uh, you know trial and mm. then I was like I have enough to watch yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. need another I don't need a, mm. another streamer in my life so um the one episode I had watched I really liked but again it's only one episode I couldn't really get a flavour I'm about halfway through the live action and this is and and the way I feel about it is I'm about halfway split down the middle right it is good and bad in equal measure for me first of all what works extremely well is they've kept a lot of the style and especially they've kept all of the music from the original show which is this kind of like 70s jazz funk right and that's not necessarily that's what bebop is it's a form of jazz Yeah, yeah yeah right so uh, the music throughout is absolutely fantastic and I think in some regards some of the world building that they've done is very interesting but in other parts, it just falls down very, very, very flat. So one of the things that works so well in the cartoon version of it is these really sort of balletic fight scenes, right? Mm. And that's because when you are drawing a fight scene, you can have the characters do literally anything yeah. because they're not real. Mm. And also the audience has bought into the whole milieu, right? You're not looking at it seeing flaws because you've bought into that, you know, this is the world. There's no uncanny valley. You are right there in the valley, right? Whereas here, you're watching it and first of all, the the, the tempo and timing all seems kind of slightly off. There's all these quick, fast cuts that don't really lend themselves, don't add energy so much as sort of make it hard to really, really make out who's doing what. And then the bits that you actually see just aren't that interesting, right? Then the other thing that most, uh, well, in my reading and research, what I have sort of gleaned is that if you have never seen the show before, you kind of are more likely to like it. But if you are a purist, you are going to absolutely loathe it because it just wears the anime completely on its sleeve, right? There are literal shot-for-shot remakes of 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 you know scenes from the from the mm, cartoon that okay. are done in the in the show, and that doesn't let the show stand in and of itself. And bear in mind, the other thing is that the show is the cartoon is twenty six, twenty five minute long episodes. This is ten. 55 minute long episodes right so a lot of it is stretched out uh, and in that way uh, but but to no gain in, a, in for the show right it it, it just it, it feels leaden in places and silly in places there's some bizarre kind of facial prosthetics uh, put on jet black like uh, it looks like they've stuck felt on for his beard <laughs> that I found very distracting and annoying 
But I will say what I also liked about it was the cast. I found the cast really game. They had very good chemistry with each other. John Cho, who is 49 years old. Uh, is look, he? He is 49 wow. years okay. old. He, you know, people he, would know him. He's like in Star Trek or yeah, in Star Trek movies. Yeah, Harold yeah. and Kumar. Yeah. He, he, uh, so he's Korean-American. He, you know, he, he went into huge training for this. He injured his leg and that delayed the show by a further eight months. I mean, I think he's great. I think he, I think he captures it very, very well. But a lot of fans don't like him in this role simply because they think he's too old. The In the cartoon, Spike Spiegel is about 27 years old. And John Cho is, I mean, he looks like he's about 27 years old. Yeah, I know what's but, our problem. But yeah. he, uh, in the show, he's supposed to be this young kind of hipster rather than a slightly more seasoned, uh, mm. well, not well, I, Gen, Gen Xer, I guess, right? Yeah. But basically, um, for me, yeah, ultimately, I, I fell right down the middle. The parts that worked, I thought worked really, really, really well. The parts that didn't, I found incredibly distracting and annoying. And ultimately, I think what I'd like to do is like over Christmas time, maybe sit down and watch the Japanese one and see how that goes. Yeah, I did watch a couple of episodes of this and I was, uh, I I thought maybe the script wasn't as clever as it thought it was. It certainly wasn't as funny as it thought it was. I was baffled by, I mean, the the, the world building is in it and it's like Quentin Tarantino took a load of drugs uh, (laughs) and like, because it's got every single sort of reference. He'd love all that stuff. But there were odd things were like in their space ship like that had conventional buttons. It wasn't kind of, you know, touch pads or anything. But they'd have these long shots of people pressing buttons. (laughs) For no reason whatsoever. And I wonder, is that because that was in the anime? It probably that they do is, that? I'd say. because I, I would imagine it is because um, the like the other thing about the anime is, you know, I, I, I'm not like I'm no expert in anime. I've watched only a handful of things, but they are weird. And I don't mean that in that in, a, in any kind of damning way mm. or, or silly Western way. They have this very ins- idiosyncratic style that is completely different to our sort of serialized storytelling yeah, yeah. so they seem unusual to us right and this uh, is trying to do both it's trying to be both weird and conventional at the same time and failing kind of at both of them because of it yes <laughs> just the button porn because they did it more than once it was just it was just the oddest thing uh, right we'll move on to our uh, third show of the day Saved by the Bell it's back all episodes of season one now streaming on Now TV here's a clip I'm sorry it just feels crazy to have a $10,000 budget for a school dance. And if we spend sensibly, maybe we can use the rest of it on something we actually need. On what? Pagier books? Typier computers? I don't know. I don't go to class. I just walk around the halls mixing it up. He does have a point. I do? He does? Well, the money is specifically allocated for the dance by the school board. If we don't spend it, we just lose it from the budget next year. That's exactly what I said. Oh, well, in that case, I guess we have to spend the money. But how do you even spend $10,000 on a school dance? Daisy, I'm currently wearing $10,000 worth of cologne. Let me show you how to spend. Right, there you go. Uh, Saved by the bell. Now, this is... I assume it's not exactly a recreation of it or, or, or is it kind of set now and you know, so many is, decades it's, later? It's retooled and rebooted, but it does include two of the, well, actually four, I guess, of the original cast, right? Mm. So uh, 
if you are familiar, are you familiar with the original? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Okay. Just, so Zach like Morris kids, is now yeah. the is now the uh, governor of California in okay. 2020. That makes sense. And uh, his wife is still Kelly Kapowski. And one and as governor, he cuts the education budget by like ten billion dollars or something, which requires. It shuts down a lot of these inner city schools, and it's quite funny because he's the villain, right? Like he, he no, knows. but that makes sense because I always even back then I said that guy's going to be involved in a sex scandal <laughs> right. when he's a few years older. Well, it's actually Screechy got involved in that, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, but basically, um, so it, 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 it the result of this is all these inner city schools closed down, and students from Douglas High are relocated to Bayside High, right? Where Zach's son. Mac, <laughs> uh, who kind of rules the roost, and Jesse Spano, Elizabeth Berkeley, now Elizabeth Berkeley Lauren, is the guidance counselor, and AC Slater is the PE teacher and football coach. Right. And uh, John Michael Higgins, who is that guy you know from absolutely everything, but most recently some insurance ads in Ireland, plays the principal, Todman. Yeah. And I have to admit, I went in knowing that this had been well received, but with low expectations because, you know, this is a reboot of Saved by the Bell. Yeah. And the pilot is excellent. It's actually written, but I didn't realise it was, it's written by Tracy Wigfield, who wrote on 30 Rock and also wrote this sort of short-lived sitcom called Great News, of two seasons of which are on Netflix, and which is a very funny straightforward American comedy it's set in a like a fictional news channel and involves uh, some mother-daughter hijinks and she has a very good eye and ear for jokes that are meta right like 30 Rock is a very meta show and Great News in some ways is a meta show and this is constantly referring back in a very funny way to the original show like there's a scene in maybe the fourth episode where the new kids keep seeing teenagers in the school who are really old <laughs> because of the, the way, you know, actors would be play, you know, yes, older actors yes. would be playing teens and going like, who are these people? Why They're not in the school. So it's very reverential. It's also it's up and down, right? But when it's good, it is very, very, very funny and it, and it hits the mark more often than not. I think the best kind of comparison is Cobra Kai, right? Cobra Kai mm. is, to, you know, who would have expected that this show that was going to take the, a washed up actor from, you know, the Karate Kid mm. who you hadn't seen in anything in 20 years minimum and make this very, very funny but also quite you know, balls to the wall action show out of it, right? Now, this doesn't quite achieve that, I would say. But what it does well, it does extremely well. It gives the old characters their shot, right? And it gives, particularly the characters of Slater and Jesse, who are the the ones that appear most, uh, it gives them the opportunity to right some wrongs of their characters as they were written, you know, in 1989 to 1993, which is when the show was made. It gives them the chance to right any of those wrongs, but it also gives them space to interact with the new lot, the new breed. And then it gives those kids as well plenty of room to develop and be funny in and of themselves. So, like, for example, in the original uh, show, in the original run, Zach would would be able to stop time, right? He'd be like, pause or whatever, time Mm. out, and turn to the audience, break the fourth wall. This time around, that happens again. But it's by a character that you perhaps wouldn't expect to be the one who's doing it. And often it's just rolling her eyes at the ridiculousness of the whole situation. The other thing it's very good at is it's like a very, it sort of mocks 
how silly the sort of original run of the show was and how affluent the show was, right? Yes, like, yeah. This was, you know, this is this is a public high school in California, but everyone was really, really rich. Yeah. And it mocks that mercilessly here by having the you know these fish out of water inner city working class quote unquote children come and have to deal with you know ag- aggressively uh, white people yeah. right like aggressively white saviors trying to solve all their problems when they don't need it or the income inequality between the students and uh, and their families etc so what it gets right it gets right really 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 well and what it doesn't get right just moves along fast enough that you don't really notice Okay, does it have it does it have a laugh track like the original? Laugh? So it, it's the only uh, iteration of Say by the Bell not to be filmed in front of a live audience, so okay. it doesn't. Ah, good, excellent, James. <laughs> thanks as ever, James Dempsey. Moncrief on News Talk, brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.